y'all. Welcome to the first full-length episode of Well, That's a Problem, a social justice podcast on everyday issues. Today, my badass friend, Aria Bolaños Parea, brings us important reminders about identity, visibility, and, as the title suggests, intersectionality. She's a political scientist who recently graduated with her master's from Chico State out in California. She is amazing, y'all. She studies Latina women in Congress, and she cares a lot about political activism, especially within the Latina community. She runs her own podcast. She's incredible. The podcast is Guerreras. She'll talk about it in the pod, but I just wanted to give it a shout out right now. And we work together as teaching assistants at the ICPSR summer program in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So think like summer math camp for statistics nerds. I am so thankful she hung out with me, and this episode is going to be amazing, and your life is going to be changed. It is. It's forever going to be altered from this time on. Um, One disclaimer, though. uh, Due to budget cuts, we only had one mic, so the audio is kind of messed up. We're working very hard to correct this. That being said, please be gracious. Uh, Also, feel free to send me your ideas for future episodes, your thoughts or feelings about this episode, or any additional resources that didn't get the spotlight today. I want to hear your shoutouts. I want to hear what you guys are thinking about this episode. So, let's get into it. Can you tell everyone how we met? Oh yeah, in your own words. In my own words, uh, how we met. Essentially, Abby recognized that I have a pin of Gloria and Saldua on my backpack, and it was the first person who didn't ask me if that was my mom on a backpack. She looked at the pin, and she's like, this is Gloria and Saldua, and I'm like, let's be best friends right now, because you're the only person that knew this. So that was awesome, uh, and also because we're co-workers. Yeah. Right? We essentially, mm-hmm. we teach different statistical classes. Because we're math nerds. Because we willingly put ourselves in this math camp. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the best way to describe ICPSR summer program. It's the only way that I've been able to describe ICPSR right. summer program to people. Yeah. They're like, so what do you do? I'm like, imagine summer camp, but with math. Yeah. Intense math. Willingly. Right. Because we consented to be in this situation. Right. Um, but yeah, no, you were the pe- the first person in, Ann- or in Michigan that knew that Gloria Saldua was a person in my backpack. Not like one of my students that was like, is that your mom? I'm like, what? Right. Um, like, okay, what type of person must I think that you are that you walk around with a button of your mom or your grandma like on your backpack? Yeah, just because she looks Latina and I look Latina, they're like, so you must be related. I'm like, what else? It turns out that there's more than one family of Latinx people in yeah, who the United thought? States. Who would have thought? Like, what's going on in your brain that you were like, mm, this must be, yes, her mother. This must be my mother. But um, that's a problem. You need to know who Gloria Anzaldua is. If you don't, look her up. Yeah, also, you, you probably know. have read an, a poem by her. At if you least. haven't at least picked up a book called Borderlands or uh, This Bridge Behind, uh, like, Call my back. This yeah. Bridge Call My Back, which is radical women of color writing. And radical here is not like what the news presents as radical. It's actually revolutionary women. Women yes. that are speaking about what's currently, what has happened when they were going through their feminist wave. Yep. Gloria Saldua, I love her so much. And it's kind of like my badge, the, my shield that I have her in my backpack. You know, because yes, for I me, I feel that. that when I, I love pins, right? Yes. So the fact that I have pins on my backpack that actually reflect how I feel and who I am, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's a political stance. 
and that I have her there. I actually just wrote her name on the pin because I'm tired of people telling me of that, asking me if that's my mom. So now people can actually read it. And yes. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. What happens? No, and I was super excited because I was I was nervous coming into this program. Like, mm-hmm. am I going to be able to make friends? Am I going to find somebody who gets me and gets like what I'm about yeah. or gets the people and <laughs> references that I make and the scholarship that I talk about? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, is that a cool reaction to do a button? I was so excited you know her. Like, thank God. Right. And you would. It's kind of weird how, you know, anybody can recognize Malcolm X or Dolores Huerta or yeah. they recognize Cesar Chavez or Anne Frank. Like, those are iconic yeah. people, but Gloria Saldua is just as iconic and it shouldn't yes. just be as a department or discipline thing. No. Right? Like, if I study sociology or gender and then obviously I know Gloria Saldua, I'm like, I'm sorry, I've met some gender scholars that don't know who she is. And that's, so, like, you should be ashamed. So that's a big, big issue. Yeah. And that's something that you and I talk about a lot. Like, yes. interdisciplinarity, is that how you say that? Interdisciplinary studies that yeah. don't actually teach you a full scope of what you right. are studying. Right. And, like, don't limit yourself to only scholarship that's in the discipline that you're in, because then you're missing out on voices who positively contribute to what you're studying and what you're doing and, like, just making you a better human being. Know things. Read things. Yeah, gather knowledge. Right. That's a great Don't skill. care what discipline they're coming from. If it's good knowledge, like, yeah. it's good knowledge. That's just it. That's really how it is. Yeah. So, yeah, you uh, you and I started talking because you recognized my pin. And also, I, I, I wanted friends that were, yeah. like you said, like, <laughs> where am I going to find somebody that is into what I'm into yes. without coming up too strongly? Yeah. Because then that actually becomes a problem in these spaces that, ooh, you like a little too much. Right. Like, I'm sorry that I care about activism and scholarship together at the same time. Yeah. Intertwined. Yeah. Uh, some people believe that scholars don't get to be activists, but honestly, there's so many scholactivists out there. I'm one of them. There yes. you go. Yeah, the reproductive justice theory. Like the fact that we use scholarship as a means to empower. Yes. Should not go. Like, should be transparent. Should be accessible. Yes, I completely my agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're wondering what our relationship is like and how we know each other, now you know. That's literally. That's literally all we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So today we're talking about intersectionality, and mm-hmm. so my next question for you is kind of walk us through the incident that sparked this conversation for you most recently. Obviously, like, intersectionality is a part of us all the time, which you're going to talk about. But tell us the story. Give us the the rant, the the vent, the context that we need. Should we start with the definition, or should we assume that people know what intersectionality is? I don't think we should assume that. I think we should should give people a definition, and then we can go into. Okay, so, hello, y'all. Intersectionality is actually defined as the interconnected nature of social categorizations such as race, class, and gender, in much like sexual orientation, religion, and as they apply to a given individual or group. And intersectionality is also regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. Kimberly Crenshaw mm-hmm. came up with this beautiful theory, intersectionality, about how uh, multiple identities affect us, right? You yeah. can't just be one or the other. You are all these identities. Mm-hmm. So me being a Latina woman, who's part of the LGBT community, who is an immigrant, who uh, has, you know, a religious background, bilingual, all these things affect my everyday life. So this yeah. is how Kimberly Crenshaw, right, mm-hmm. has coined this term. Yeah. That you probably have heard, like, your feminism uh, isn't, inter- like, if it isn't intersectional, it isn't feminism. Yeah. So now you know where intersectionality came from. Yeah. came from a 
black woman. It came from a woman that was studying black women mm-hmm. in, uh, in legal cases. And you should watch Kimberly Crenshaw's TED Talk. I will post a link to it um, along with this podcast on the site because I think it's a really good um, like TED Talk. Mm-hmm. And actually, we, that yes. was part of That's part the of creation point. of this. <laughs> yes. yes. So then tell us, like, what, so happened? what happened? How did this come up in a way that was so, like, impactful to you that now we're talking about it on my podcast? Yes, like, why this is a problem. Right. Right. So how, could this be a, how could this be a problem? How could intersectionality be a problem? Well, unfortunately, there will come a time that us scholars, like both you and I, will go into spaces that people don't really believe in our work. Right? True. Uh, some people believe, like, why do I need to look at women in office, which is what I study? I specifically look at uh, Latinas in Congress. And some people believe, okay, so you're just looking at women. I'm like, no, I'm looking at minority women. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, why don't you look at all women since all women are minorities? I'm like, mm, but a white woman's experience differs from a black woman's experience, and that one differs from a Latina woman's experience. Right. Right. So my research and actually a theory that I've come up with and that I'm you know, working in as I go is the racial and gendered context of bill co-sponsorship when it comes Ooh. to Latina women. I have found that Latinas are more likely to identify with their racial identity than with their gendered identity. Interesting. So Latina women and also Latino men are more likely to support bills that impact the Latino community as a whole compared to them voting for affordable access to health care for women bill. Mm-hmm. Right. So in to a spike of like a 60% difference. Wow. Where they will sixty like six out of ten times Latina women will vote for a Latinx bill compared to a women's issue bill. Interesting. Right. Yeah. So how this comes up in intersectionality is because there was a conversation in class where some students argued that there was a difference between the intersectionality that I was using and the intersectionality that they were using as a theory. Mm. And words like purity came about and narrow and broad intersectionality, where it seemed that the debate, instead of becoming uh, open discourse about what intersectionality can be and how we can use it uh-huh. and apply it to different disciplines, it became as if I was trying to co-op intersectionality for myself. And that was, and that is a problem. I found that problematic because that's a huge problem. <laughs> yes, that is first a of all, big problem for the T in it, um, <laughs> because it seemed to me that the discourse, instead of being well, how in which way are you analyzing immigration policy or a Latina congresswoman using intersectionality mm-hmm. as your analysis, as your scope, it became as in you're just trying to take intersectionality for yourself. Some people commented that if you're that only black women could be using intersectionality to study black women. Some comments were shared about how if I wasn't studying black women, then I wasn't doing intersectionality theory of Kimberly Crenshaw any justice. And that became a problem because I am obviously not going to tell anybody that, you know, this is my theory. Like I stole something from you. Right. Right. I am not also going to compete with somebody about my oppressive, oppressive identity. Mm -hmm. Right. Or the ways in which my identity is oppressed. Right. And it became a conversation that was so toxic that some of the students stopped showing up to class. That some of my students in the class. And it came to also the students coming to me and saying, I'm not going to present my paper anymore. I don't want this to be seen in front of the class because 
I'm hearing conversations outside of class where they're asking, people are asking each other what kind of intersectionalist you are. Wow. And nobody asked me, she said, because I am not black. Even though this woman is also of a racial minority, which I'm just not going to share, you know, right. in the podcast, um, she felt that she was targeted mm-hmm. because when she shared that she did study intersectionality, but in her own area of communications, mm-hmm. people looked at her like, you can't use intersectionality there. It's not for you to use. The fact that intersectionality can be applied in so many disciplines only make the theory, it only makes the theory stronger. That's yeah. the whole thing. If your theory is so strong that it can offer analysis and answers or at least another view into a discipline Mm -hmm. oh my god like that is what anybody in scholarship hopes for right Right. and the fact is that even Kimberly Crenshaw has shared that while she studied black women that the theory is not just for black women not only to explain white black women's issues right it's to explain anybody that's a member of an oppressed identity yeah and so the problem became in class that my students stopped showing up. They did not want to be presenting their work in front of a class. And it's a valid reason. Well, there's a difference between hard criticism and constructive criticism. Where constructive criticism mm-hmm. comes from a well-reasoned, valid point of view. Right. right? Hard criticism, you just want to hurt my feelings. Right? Yeah. And it I came to you to talk about this because I felt guilty that maybe you are right. Maybe as a Latina who studies Latinas using intersectionality theory as one of her lenses, maybe I am stealing this from Kimberly Crenshaw. Maybe I am stealing this from black scholars, mm-hmm. but that that isn't true. No, that's not true. <laughs> I don't think that that is supported by any of the research that either of us have ever done or read on. Um, and it's also, I mean, not even supported in Kimberly Crenshaw's own talks about her work, right? right. Like, for context, there's, okay, so in the TED Talk mm-hmm. that you all should watch if you haven't already seen it, there's a scene where she's she's talking about how the metaphor of this intersection came up for her. Mm-hmm. And then she literally goes from, okay, yeah, I was working on this case mm-hmm. and this case study of multiple instances of black women being erased in mm-hmm. different um, cases within the workplace mm-hmm. to um, this extends beyond this. And she talks specifically about, you know, things like xenophobia mm-hmm. and um, classism and homophobia right. and all these other issues coming into play. And she has a visual of all of these different intersections that can come into our lives. Mm-hmm. So Again, I just don't feel like that claim is substantiated. And if you're using that to kind of claim that people should not be welcome in that space, not be included in that space, I feel like you're missing the message of intersectionality, which is that like everyone exists on some sort of intersection and we need to pay attention to the power dynamics that that creates for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think like intersectionality and Kimberly Crenshaw talks about this, that in particular the courts, because she was, she's a law professor. Okay. Like she, she was part of Columbia and Stanford and amazing woman, uh, that the courts seemed to think that race discrimination was what happened to all black people across gender and that sex discrimination just happened to all women. And they weren't taken into account that like black women were discriminated differently compared to black men. Right. And this happens to like Latino women are discriminated against differently than Latino men. Right. And then that is inter- that intersectionality allows us to understand what that even means. Right. And what that could possibly look like. Because part of the problem is 
and she says this in the podcast, if we can't see a problem, we can't fix a problem. Mm-hmm. Or in her TED Talk. Not yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm just really into podcasts right now, guys. <laughs> that's the only form of media. Um, she talks about how intersectionality helps us see that because in her case study, she found that the policies that were in place in the workplace to protect Black people really only focused on the experiences and the needs of Black men. And at the same time, the policies that were in place to stop sex discrimination really only focus on the needs and experiences of white women, which means that the black women that were trying to get hired or trying to get promoted or trying Mm -hmm. to exist in that space didn't have policies that comprehensively met their needs. Mm -hmm. And so they got erased because they just assumed that they should be covered because we have sex policies and we have race policies, but that those actually don't meet up in a way that actually helps black women mm-hmm. um but like kimberly crenshaw says like we say here at the podcast of well that's a problem <laughs> that is a big problem yeah that's a huge problem that that is happening but it's also a problem that you're being pushed out of a space that's supposed to be so inclusive like feminism and intersectionality have come together in a way where we say things like if your feminism isn't intersectional then it's not feminism right and so like what are we doing where we're creating this space where people are getting pushed out? People are feeling like they can't speak about an issue or about their work or yeah, using a theory. It becomes difficult because at least for us that we're in the world of academia, yeah. right, we're very, very defensive about people coming at our work. Like you can criticize oh, me, yeah. you can criticize me as a person, whatever, I can defend myself. But when you criticize my work, Right. When you haven't even read a page of anything I've either published or presented. Oh, good point, too, right? because that's also I, a factor. Yeah. Right. Like, the fact that I'm having to teach you on my work. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not just saying this to bring up my ego, but if I said something way out of pocket, check me. That is very welcome. Right. But when you are making assumptions, because, you know, you can't see me through this podcast, but I'm pretty light-skinned for a Latina, mm-hmm. and very fluent in English until you hear me speak in Spanish or I kind of fumble in my words. and like, hmm, you sound different. A lot of these students assumed that I was, how could I be studying Latino politics if I'm not Latina? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> right? First of all. Uh, first of all, what? Right. Um, but going back to your question is that mm-hmm. where we're not willing to communicate with one another because we're being so we're so defensive about the discipline. Now, of course, if somebody is using your theory or your work and saying that it's theirs, problematic, right? Mm-hmm. But to defend yourself in a way in which, since it's we don't want you to use it because only this kind, like this group, can use it, mm-hmm. also doesn't allow for the growth of knowledge. Right. right. So I don't want anybody that feels that they cannot study Latino politics because they're not Latino. Right. Okay, like yeah. you should be able to study Latino politics if you want. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're studying uh, Latin American governments or Mexican government, you, I don't want you to feel like you cannot come into this space mm-hmm. because you're not of my racial ethnic like right category. Mm-hmm. However, you need to recognize what you are doing. Yes. Right. You have to recognize that if you do not concede to like that identity Mm -hmm. you're it's going to be taken differently but i am never going to tell somebody to not study latino politics Mm -hmm. and just because i'm latina doesn't mean that i study immigration either which is something that had to come up during class Mm -hmm. some people were like well talk to us about immigration policy and i'm like what about it i don't study that 
Right. <laughs> I study women in Congress. Right. Like, right. So if you want to ask me, I could name you every Latina that has ever been in office and every black woman and every API woman that's been in office in Congress. Can you tell us what API means? API is Asian Pacific Islander. Mm-hmm. So anybody that, any woman or person, right, that identifies as Chinese, Japanese, Polynesian, Filipinos, uh, and I say Filipinos because um, Tagalog is actually a very gendered language. So much like Latina, Latino, Filipina, Filipino. It's a very gender language as well. So Filipinx people um, and unfortunately other. Right. Consider the our, infamous other. The category. infamous other that I'm like, what is that? It's considered API. But these students also assume that I was studying immigration policy because I was Latina. And that became a bigger issue for me because I wasn't being seen as the instructor or the scholar in that side of the room. Mm-hmm. Right. I was being tokenized for my identity. And that also happens when we're talking about our different disciplines. Right? And what we yeah. study, we start tokenizing each other like, oh, I know a friend that does black politics. Or I know a friend that does Latino politics. And I'm going to have you talk to like, you know, mm-hmm. when you use somebody as a scapegoat to talk about an issue, right. that's also tokenizing. Uh, and in that moment, people looked at me like, okay, we know that you study intersectionality, defend defend yourself and defend right. your discipline. You're putting <laughs> you in the position of having to speak for your entire discipline, yes. the validity of your research. Right. And, and if you don't convince us that you deserve or that your research is valid enough mm-hmm. to, to warrant using intersectionality theory, yes. then we're just going to continue to dismiss and marginalize you in that space, which yeah. like intersectionality theory exists to be able to bring voice to marginalized voices or marginalized research or things like that and help us understand the complexity and the nuance, like different shades of experience that's going on. And that just wasn't happening for you, which is so frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah, it's been going on for a couple of days. And I don't blame the students who feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you know, be you need to find yourself in uncomfortable spaces to learn from those spaces. But when you feel that your own racial minority is being targeted. Right. When it comes down to like, yes, my identity, my lived experience and the thing that I'm passionate about studying comes into question. Yes, it's completely coming into question for the fact that you are using a term that some people are calling themselves purists about. Right. And the so like they're saying of- things like. I'm an intersectionality purist, so I believe it's only for black women in the study of black women. Yes, absolutely. And if that's your opinion, that's your opinion. However, what Kimberly Crenshaw has even said that this theory is applicable to so many other minorities, regardless of of racial minority or not. Like Mm -hmm. so many minorities. Right. Like religious minorities, sexual minorities, Mm -hmm. like disabled people. Why are we having this conversation then? Right. Right? Like in the fact that purity, it seems pretty cut clear. And also the fact that using purity as your term is pretty ironic. Like it's impurity. Like come on now. Like that's really like problematic. Problematic language because I shiver when I'm like, oh, purity. Because one, like it reminds me of this idea of racial purity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. That there's like this. Mm eugenics movement in the United States where people were literally forcibly sterilized Mm -hmm. because they were deemed like not part of the pure race 
and part of the like creme de la creme of the genetic gene pool and all this stuff. So when you say purity, like that's a very charged word, especially when we're talking about issues of race in the United States. Oh my goodness, we're still having conversations about racial purity today. Oh, right. Absolutely. (laughs) The whole fact about, you know, make America white again. And that was part of the Charlottesville march. Yes. That is, (laughs) that's purity. Right. It's still relevant. And so using that language is just so charged in ways I don't think the students really understood. And I, and I can totally, I can see where the students were coming from. Mm -hmm. Like I am trying to also not disregard their comments. Right. And at the same time, I feel that there was room for them to learn about what they were saying because I right. felt very targeted at the same time right yeah. I felt that it was um unfair that and, and I stayed quiet for the class right this is not my time to speak I want to make sure that I'm also pretty impartial mm-hmm. so the students can come to me if they have any questions yeah. about anything however when I started to notice that some comments were being made directly to me yeah and about me Mm-hmm. Uh, being one of the two Latinas in the whole class and the only Latina right. instructor in the whole institute. Right. You know, you, it's hard to not take things personally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so it became a, a very unfortunate moment to right. be around folks that I would think would understand. And then yeah. to kind of get that fl- that switch where they're like, well, actually, we don't actually we don't agree with you. Right. Now, if I was saying something completely ludicrous, then yes, please. <laughs> right. But right. if I'm only using your the theory to better describe and analyze and empower my community, I don't understand why that's problematic. Oh, it's so <laughs> I'm just like so frustrated that this is even a thing. Am I appropriating intersectionality theory? You know, do I need to check myself there? And then it's like, okay, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so the even the idea of appropriating intersectionality theory is really difficult. Like, I I can't think of a situation in which that would happen because even as a white woman, right, like, I can use intersectionality theory to look at the way that my whiteness is a privilege, right? It gives mm-hmm. me privilege in spaces. It helps right. me engage in a space differently than, mm-hmm. say, a woman of color, right? So even on that identity, like, intersectionality theory is useful for me because it helps me be critical of yeah. my own privilege as well as the spaces where like I'm a woman in a space of all men and like that helps me understand that yes. intersection of my identity as well I can't like you know also intersectionality applies to men like oh, being yes. a racial minority even though you're not, you're part of the gender majority the fact that you may be a man of color you're mm-hmm. like part of the lgbtq community right if you're a religious minority right all these things are part also of intersectionality it only yeah. allows us to better understand a Yes, a, a concept of identity, but mm-hmm. the instructors did do something helpful, which was they gave me time from class the following a couple of days later to talk about what I study. Okay, right? so it did in a way the the instructor said, "Well, you know what? We're gonna have this teaching like experience yeah. for them. Yeah, you're gonna get to talk to them about how intersectionality theory actually." is applicable in other spaces like immigration mm-hmm. policy, mm-hmm. right? So I presented an article by Ana Sampaio, which is one of my favorite like, Latina theorists out there, in how she used intersectionality to analyze immigration policy and ICE rates, how its immigration policy is racialized and gendered, and how you know ICE is targeting women and children instead. Right. How the policy, like instead of going to um, jobs anymore. It's going to residential areas, 
And like ICE agents are going to residential yes. areas. To and to... even, yeah, like, like to go and persecute mm-hmm. undocumented immigrants. Right. And also how the VAWA, which is the Violence, um, Violence Against Women Act, mm-hmm. funds local law enforcement mm-hmm. for anti-terrorist um, like security. But this is, the, this is how it's problematic. After, when ICE was created in 2003, undocumented immigration was seen as a terrorist act. Terror, immigration was coined, like, was categorized under terrorism. Undocumented immigration was seen as a threat to national security. So right. VAWA, right, mm-hmm. actually funds local law enforcement on and anti-terrorist security. Mm-hmm. They're seeing undocumented immigrants as a threat to national security. There, let right. me tell you something. There's 800,000 people out there with DACA. And 99% of them have a job. None of them have a criminal record. These are will, these are people who are willingly putting their identity and their safety out there for the federal government. Yeah. And you know what? I don't see any undocumented immigrants creating any problem for the United States. No. 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 And all. you know what helps us analyze that? Intersectionality. And just like the facts. <laughs> and the facts. No alternative use here. Right. These are all facts. Right. Right. Supported so, by research. And if frustrating because like even when we're talking about immigration is seen as a terrorist threat that that is so racialized right because mm-hmm. we're not talking about you know canadians yeah. coming across the border right. or mm-hmm. working here with some hot garbage so even their intersectionality comes into play right because yes. we're talking about immigration mm-hmm. we're talking about immigration from specific places from pers- with people with specific like appearances or whatever however you want to frame mm-hmm. your racist views <laughs> however you want to frame your racist views and that is true right however you want to package your racism as i might say right like there i used to watch these videos when one guy was like unpacking racism and unpacking yes. transphobia those videos are so funny <laughs> and it's just like i miss stuff like that um but yeah that really did happen during class and it left me hurt Mm-hmm. There was no way I wasn't going to take that personally. Right. And for a moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe they are right. Maybe I am doing something wrong. And then I called up my mentor and I was like, is this wrong? Like, what the hell? Right. And he answered with, actually, no, it is not wrong that you're feeling this way. Unfortunately, it's going to happen more often than not. Because if we are going to be, said we, because we both are in racial, uh, mm-hmm. racial and ethnic political science programs, right? Yeah, right. Um, he said, this is going to happen to you a lot. It's like you are a Latina looking at women. Mm-hmm. And some people are going to get a little annoyed that you're using theories that are outside of Latinx politics discipline, but to study Latinos. But they're, and I'm like, but they're theories. And he's like, yeah, well, we know what you're trying to say, right? But some people are just going to get a little hurt. And it's kind of unfortunate because as a scholar, you only hope for your scholarship to promote knowledge, to help others, to inspire others. Right. And when some people are kind of negating or taking away that from you, like mm-hmm. I am not saying that I came up with intersectionality. Right. <laughs> no way. It would not be possible for you to claim that. Yes. It, there's no way I can claim this. Um, all I'm saying is thanks to Kimberly Crenshaw, mm-hmm. I can explain something about my community. And without her, I wouldn't have been able to. Right. And giving that kind of acknowledgement is powerful. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I guess I don't. Uh, according to some folks in this class. You're not allowed to. I'm not allowed to. And damn. <laughs> right. And damn. Wow. Yeah. 
yeah, we've definitely thrown a lot of scholarship and research mm-hmm. and perspectives out there. Um, so what I want to do next is give us a chance to shout out organizations or other people to follow online, on social oh, media, yes. and things like that who are fighting the good fight with intersectionality, doing it right, giving inclusivity um, mm-hmm. and power to marginalized voices and things like that. So who, like, do you have any recommendations for that? I have a few. But I you have a few. Yeah, um, I well, I think about not doing, it's not about really doing intersectionality right, correct? It's intersectionality, it is or it isn't. That, that, oh, there's yeah. no gray area. Okay, yeah. You're either, are, you understand what it is or you don't, right? Mm-hmm. So I cannot see folks saying, the pure or the narrow or the broad of intersectionality. You either believe in intersectionality or you do not, mm-hmm. right? And there is a lot of great scholarship out there by Latino scholars, right? Ricardo Ramirez, and you have uh, Carol Hardy Fanta, you have David Cortez, who is a great friend of mine, mm-hmm. you have Luis Fraga, you have Bernard Fraga, you have, jokes, Ana Sampaio, love you, Ana. You have all these incredible people, but to just get cut short and sweet, if you follow in on Twitter at POC also know stuff and at women also know stuff, you will find a list of scholars who are either people of color or women. Or even where those people of color are also women yes. or those women are also people of color because of intersectionality. What do you mean? I wish, right. I wish there was like a little like magical sound in this. The bring, yeah. intersectionality. Right? Like that. I imagine the SpongeBob like meme the with rainbow, the rainbow. Like intersectionality. <laughs> and you can, it's a directory of scholars. And you can just literally look up. I'm in the POC also know stuff and the women also know stuff directory. So if you want to look at myself. Because can she's both. <laughs> because I am apparently, right? But I am both. Come on, y'all. You exist in the intersections of race and gender. Wow. What? <laughs> but, you know, of the comments aside, you should follow those pages. Also, follow the scholars that you pay attention to, but staying away from academia because sometimes that is not accessible to people and they right. don't understand what that is. Yeah. Um, research communication is tough because, like, that's some dense scholarship. Like, the original article for intersectionality, like Kimberly Contrell's case study, is so so long yes and like there's so many pages so like yeah let's talk about you know people just out there who aren't academics yeah well we can go with jessica salgado jessica salgado is a salvadorian poet so she's on instagram Mm -hmm. and the reason i say follow her is because her poems really speak for the latinx experience in the united states yeah so i stand a woman i stand a woman poet and she uses her platform to really talk about being Latina, about uh, fat phobia, and how people just always assume she's Mexican just because she's Latina, right? And right. it's like, come on, when we say Latina, we don't just mean Mexicans. Right. We mean Salvadorians. We mean people from Uruguay. We mean Nicaraguan. We mean Guatemalan. We mean mm-hmm. Costa Rican, Panamanian. Like, there's 40 countries that count as Latinx. Right. You should know about them. Here's a question for yes. our listeners. Does yes. Spain count as Latinx? No. No. The answer is no, folks. And also when people will still call themselves Hispanic, just check them on that. Hispanic is a completely colonized term. It calls from being Espanol, which means colonized by the Spanish. Right. So for other so folks out there, they're like, no, I'm Hispanic. I'm like, oh, honey, check yourself. Right. You're no. perpetuating really colonialist right. language, and that's kind of 
counter to the point. Yes, and it's... We want to shut that down. And we want to immediately shut that down. Another we want to call out colonial power. Is, yes, honestly, like, come right. on now. We need to really unpack colonialism in some of our spaces. Right. Uh, that's, a, that's an episode for another time. That is an episode for We'll have to time. have you back to talk about colonialism. I guess so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> some people look at me and they're like, you look like something else. And I'm like, yes, it's because Guadalajara was colonized by the French and the Spanish, so take your pick. That's right. why I look white. I have indigenous features, but I'm just white looking. Right. right. So, but colonialism for another day. Another woman to look into is Prisca uh, Dorcas. And Prisca is kind of like her name that she uses because me, like I prefer to be called Ari in spaces where other people won't say my name correctly. Yeah. Prisca does the same thing. Uh, Prisca Dorca Rojas, she is, uh, she actually got her graduate degree in theology. So she wow. really, really looks into kind of like Catholicism being, religion being used as oppression, like oppressive system. And she is on Instagram and she is on Twitter. So make sure to follow her. Also look up Brown Beautiful Latina, look up Brown Issues, look up Huff Po Latino all these, anything that really talks about, not just for, obviously, because I'm Latinx, I'm just giving, like, all these Latina right, people, right. Uh, but look at the Women's March, like, the Women's March mm-hmm. movement on Instagram yeah. has great insight into what intersectionality is, read the Kimberly Crenshaw article, but also right. make sure that you are having conversations with, I feel more than anything, have conversations with people that you know have multiple identities that are oppressed. Yeah, you have a friend out there that is not of your racial background. Talk to them. Don't don't say like talk to me about what it's like to be brown. Explain don't, to me no. your race. Right, what that means. No, don't do that to your friend. Um, because that's exhausting and that's work that they are not getting paid to do. Yes, emotional labor to survive and also to defend ourselves. Don't do that, people. Right. Don't make them have to explain their their right to exist or the validity of their existence. Yes, <sighs> that shit is Googleable. The internet is a well. You'll hear me say that a lot. Mm-hmm. Use it. So who else can we do? I think you can totally look at, yes, Monique Frausto. I love Monique Frausto. She talks a lot about a fashion, but being a, a bigger woman, she uses her body as an inspiration too. And kind of talking oh about the intersection of like, of your body, like being a bigger woman is actually part of an identity. Yes. So people were like, what do you mean? And it's like, yes, me not being the conventional idea, westernized idea of what a beautiful body is. Right. Is, it's, it's an intersection. Right. It's part of it because that's not a conversation that we have enough, right? Mm-hmm. That there's something about being in a body that doesn't fit the standards of what a body should look like and what a body should do and how a body should respond. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it wasn't... Women of color that created that idea. Let me let me just say that. Right? Oh my. What? So you have a lot of different places, but don't be victim of anybody that uses intersectionality as like a trend. Any movement. Right. Any movement that it's a women's movement, a racial movement, immigration movement, progressive movement is intersectional, should be intersectional, at least. And if it's not, call it out. Let people know that we're missing something, that we're erasing someone, that we're Mm -hmm. we're not being inclusive enough. There's room for those conversations. There is room for those conversations. There is even room for improvement as minorities, racial minorities, gender minorities, sexual minorities, to have these conversations. Because you feel like, oh, well, it's only one or the other. 
You either get to be a woman or you get to be a Latina. You either get to be a woman or you get to be black. But what happens if you're a Latina woman? What happens if you're a Latina queer woman? What happens if you're a black queer woman? What happens if you're a white queer woman? What happens if you're a poor Latina queer woman? A trans poor like Latina woman. The list goes on. The list goes on and you think that, wow, oh my gosh, all these identities. Okay, there are millions of people who are affected by these oppressive identities. In the world, there are literally like 7 billion people and growing. And growing. And look at organizations that they are doing work for not just one group. Sure, if you want to be involved in organizations that focus on only Latinas or only Black women, do that work. But make sure that even your movement is being intersectional. Just because it's for a racial or a gender minority doesn't mean that it is. And I would say also, like, get comfortable following people whose voices and experiences don't match how you think or what you experience, right? right. It's like, that's going to help you stay more intersectional with your thoughts is, is remembering to include and call out other people when they're not being as inclusive as they should be, right? Like, you know, I'm able-bodied, but if I hear you guys out here doing ableist shit, I'm going to say, yeah. remember, able-bodied is a privileged status, mm-hmm. and we need to recognize that, like, in this space, mm-hmm. this really matters, right? Like, or whatever it is, right? Whatever intersection it is. Yeah, you want to lift up the, those voices, which is exactly why I, do, I never wanted to criticize the students for trying to lift up their voices to say what they actually felt like. Yeah. However, when you speaking up begins about uh, begins to put others down, right? That is problematic. And if intersectionality is about lifting each other up, it's about understanding why we need why we need to understand, right? Understanding why we need to understand, but <laughs> to not be so redundant, it's about how do we approach understanding being a person who is oppressed in many different ways. Right. And don't put somebody down because they're not studying what you're studying. In the way that you're studying it. Exactly. From the perspective that you're studying it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Jeez. <laughs> Okay, we're going to take a breath and move to something completely different, which is why I'm here giving us this beautifully orchestrated segue into a segment I'm tentatively calling, That's Rad. It's a time for us to talk about anything we're into right now that's mostly unrelated to our topic and totally awesome. These can be anything. There are no limits. So with that, let's see what we came up with this time. I can't eat dairy. I call myself DERF, which is my like <laughs> abbreviation for dairy-free. So that's DERF or that's not DERF is something I say a lot. It's a language guild that I have created for, and used yeah. for myself because mm-hmm. it's funny. But I recently uh, had Hudsonville brand non-dairy ice cream. I had the mint fudge cookie oh, flavor. That sounds delicious. And it was so good. It's mm-hmm. made with coconut cream, not coconut milk. So it had that really light texture that Ooh. like was really scoopable because normally I have to put my dairy-free ice cream in the microwave for like several seconds before I can even like put my spoon into really? the pie. Yeah, because um, when it's made with coconut milk or mm. almond milk or even cashew milk, like... It's, Sorry, I can't do cashew milk. Oh, I love it. I feel like it's so really? creamy and thick. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I recommend cashew I'm milk. I'm totally coconut milk too. That's what I love coconut milk too. But um, because it's really just like water mixed with like it gets that icy texture. So you need to kind of melt it down a little bit before you can scoop it. Mm. But with this stuff, I just stuck my spoon right in there and I was ready to go instantly, which 
this felt so good. It felt so freeing to be able to just like, I'm ready to eat this right now. And it was so tasty. It like was made with coconut cream, right. but it wasn't too overpowering with the coconut where you didn't get the fact that it was mint and the mint and the coconut weren't fighting each other because like coconut mint is gross. Like to me, that's a gross idea. I don't but, even know what that tastes like. Right. I don't want to know because it's probably <laughs> gross. Yeah. But you know, like, so I would recommend Hudsonville non-dairy mint ice cream. That's my first recommendation. That's your first recommendation. Yeah. What's then, yours? I guess my recommendation has to be a book. <laughs> okay, yes. Just because I've been really obsessed with this book called Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. It is eight different stories, but they're all like psychological thrillers. Oh, so And she's a Latina writer. She is a lesbian woman. She is all about using like her, her book is about queer women. It's about literally there's a chapter and I don't want to like spoil it, but where women are sewn into dresses and it actually talks about, right. But it talks about how women are so invested in like their body image that they just live within the idea of beauty and they disappear because of that. And so, yeah, it's that kind of thing that it's that's maybe... That's Oh, that's heavy. It is heavy because, you know, each each story leaves you with... It's not about, and like, completing the circle. It's about actually, like, leaving you on edge, mm. right? It leaves you on edge with each story. And I loved it. So, again, Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. You're not going to regret it. And I've that's my recommendation because I have not been able to put the book down and I know I have to return it, I think, like tomorrow. But um, it's a beautiful book, beautifully written. And I just recommend reading more women authors. Yes. I guess if I were to have a non-academic-y, it's not an academic like book. The, the, the book's not academic. Like, that is true. Heaven forbid we like to read, but also. <laughs> heaven forbid, right? Like this part of my career. Okay. Um, yes, but that's like a heavy recommendation from me because yeah. it is just great. And honestly, a psychological thriller written by a Latina woman, I've never right. heard that in my life. Right. So that's me. My second recommendation. Okay, so lately I've been really into Bon Appetit on YouTube. <laughs> makes these videos okay and so you can just like watch these videos on youtube and i've been binging these oh. like i've been sitting on my phone just binge watching these videos it's their gourmet makes and it's this this chef at the bon appetit test kitchen mm-hmm. and she recreates like the junkiest junk food into like the gourmet version so she like breaks it down and figures out like what is the core thing about like a twinkie or twizzlers or reese's or oreos Ooh. or whatever and then she like makes them gourmet or like makes them so elevated and elegant but like manages to maintain and preserve a lot of the like the things that we love about Mm. a Reese's cup or an Oreo like did you say Reese's is that how it's supposed to be said I think it's Reese's okay well I mean I understood what you meant I I say Reese's I don't know how I some people say water so (laughs) it it comes for all of us Words are hard. English is a weird language. English is a weird language. When I was learning English, I was like, why is there a K in front of knife? Right. We don't need it to be there. I don't know. There's I think, nothing about English that says we need a K right there. I other than we've it. all agreed that it should be there. I don't think we all agreed on it, but I have to understand that. I was like, knife. Right. And my mother was like, that is not how you say knife. <laughs> right. And then, But like, and have a good knife. And they're like, no, no, no. It's just knife with an N. But I'm like, mm, you're changing the rules. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> right. I can't follow this logic. <laughs> but yeah, Gourmet Makes is my second recommendation because 
It's so good. A lot of my recommendations today are going to be food themed because I love eating and I've been doing a lot of eating. I feel left out. I want to do a recommendation on food. Mm, let's see. Eat something outside of your comfort zone. Ooh, that's that a good recommendation. recommendation. Yes. If you've never had Greek food, go eat Greek food. If you've never had Ethiopian food, go eat Ethiopian food. Ooh, if yes. you don't know what I am talking about, Google it and look it up and then order that food. Yeah. Honestly, there's like a Jamaican place here in Ann Arbor that is delicious. It's so good. What's it called? Jerk Pit? Jerk Pit. Right. Yes. And it's so super good affordable food. Um, yeah. And you get big portions, which everyone loves. Yeah, I think I'm going to go eat there tomorrow. Oh, my God. Um, yes, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I think that being able to eat outside of your comfort, obviously, as long as it does not kill you, please do not eat anything you're allergic to. That is not what we're promoting That's here. not what we're promoting. Um, so you're saying you don't want me to go eat massive amounts of cheese? I think so. Yeah. Only if you want to. But right, right. <laughs> okay. It's your funeral. <laughs> I'm just like, I live free. You know, as yeah. one philosopher named Drake once said, YOLO. <laughs> YOLO, you only live once. You only live once. Uh, Drake, a <laughs> uh, great philosopher, our Canadian philosopher of our time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if anybody did not know that Drake was Canadian, <laughs> just in case. Yeah, I guess that would be my second recommendation. Do you have one more? Uh, a last recommendation for me, do check-ins. Check in with yourself Ooh. more regularly. Yes. Like, don't just be at the brink of a panic attack and be like, mm, maybe something is wrong. Check in with yourself, at least. What I honestly do in my phone is that I have a day fully invested about checking in with myself. Do you have, like, an alarm set? I do have an alarm or, set. Or, like, a notification Every calendar. 14th of the month, my phone says, oh. positive check-in, in which I sit down and write five positive things about myself. That's awesome. Something that I have learned, something that I just do, uh, because it's like positive psychology, right? Yeah. Sometimes we are just so focused on criticizing ourselves mm -hmm. that we forget that they we are good people in some shape or form. Yeah. So I write five positive things about myself on the 14th of every month. And it just makes me feel good. And it's just a check-in. And you must be saying, like, what? You're just checking in with yourself. That is absolutely what I'm doing. I take yes. myself out for a date. I really? go, That's yes, amazing. I take out myself for either coffee or at least a museum and I just sit down and write and just say five things about myself and I let it be. Actually, I did this with my partner on the 14th of February, which is Valentine's Day, and my alarm went off and he's like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's like my positive check-in. Do you want to do it with me? Mm -hmm. So on Valentine's Day, my partner and I both wrote things like him on his journal and me on my journal, but five positive things about ourselves. And it was a very intimate moment, even though we're both in silence for like an hour, wow. um, but where it also pushed him to check in with himself. Mm -hmm. Like, boo-boo, like, you need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so do I. Um, but yes, my last recommendation is check in with yourself. It's so important to know where you're at. And nobody's perfect. Nobody's like in the best moment of their life, right? right. Um, but do check in and hype yourself up sometimes. Yeah. Like sometimes your best hype person has got to be you. Yeah. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's awesome. And that's semi-related to my last recommendation of today, which is have things in your life that are just for you. Yeah. So I was talking to my brother about this because I was saying like, you know, when we're in grad school and we're in, in like in life, I'm sure that there are other spaces where this is super sure. applicable, but mm -hmm. I mean, I only know grad school because okay. grad school eats my life. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's like unfortunate, but it's, so true. So anyone who's ever been in grad school is like, yep, 
Yeah, kudos to you to all of us that have made it out of there. Right, honestly. I'm like, like I got out of there crawling. Yes. Right? It's like, what did you do? I finished my PhD. I like, need a, a medal. Right, like, I'm going to jump on a plane. I'm going to go <laughs> I'm gonna sit on the beach for like a month. Don't talk to anyone about anything. But yes. Um, and, you know, when we're in these like places in our lives where we have all these expectations and pressures and we have to do things a certain way and be a certain way or perform at a certain level, it's really important. It's been really important and impactful for me to have things in my life where I'm like, I do not have to be perfect right now. Like I'm just showing up just for me. And this is just like my time where mm. I am doing something that I genuinely enjoy Yes. without all of that extra stuff tacked onto it. Cause I, I like what I do. I like being in grad school. I like studying and doing research and whatever, which yes, does make me a nerd. But with all the pressure that is on it, I need time to step away from that and just be like, mm all right, I'm just going to go rock climbing right now. And I don't care if I can only climb a 5.5, five, which to be fair is one of the lowest, What's easiest grades. A 5.5 five? Five is like how they grade the the like climbs, the like routes oh. on the wall. Mm-hmm. And a 5.5 five basically like... A 5 foot 5 wall? No, I, well, <laughs> that would be fun. But it's basically like a ladder would be like a 5.5. Five. Like it, okay. it's very easy, accessible for people to be able to like mm-hmm. step, 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 climb, climb, climb. Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, so like if, if that's the best that I do that day, then like that's just for me and that's where I'm at and I need to like just do that and do that for myself and like let go of the pressure mm-hmm. to, you know, yeah. be a rock climbing goddess and just like completely, you know, climbing the hardest route or, <laughs> you know, meeting myself not where I'm at and pushing myself too hard and yeah. all that stuff. Like just take care of yourself by doing stuff that's just for you and have that and say, you know what, like screw other people's expectations, screw my expectations for myself. Like, right. I'm just going to show up. There's a lot of power on saying, you know, and silencing those doubts that we get all the yes. time, especially when you work in such a high pressured space. Yes. Um, it, there is a lot of power in saying this does not define me. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> so being able to even advocate for yourself in those spaces, you're like, yeah, right. damn. And this might be part of me, but this is not all of me. So, like, let's invest in something that's a different part of me. Yes. Like, if you took away academia from you or from us, like, who would we be? We need to be able to answer that question. Right. With a complete individual with interests outside of academia. Exactly. Like, academia is not what makes me whole. No. Right. I am what makes academia. Boom. Yes. All right. So, Aria, where can we get more of you? I'm sure my viewers are like, I love your this. viewers, your listeners, my listeners. They can't see me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they can. <laughs> if you want to see me, can we follow, follow me yeah. on Instagram? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, well, if people want to hear more about me, they can either listen to Guerreras, which is my podcast. So that is G U E R R E R A S. That is the name of the podcast, Guerreras, which is the Spanish word for warrior, but for women, warrior women. And it is a podcast centered on feminism, on politics, but specifically how those impact the Latinx community. So you can either listen to me on Guerreras or you can follow Guerreras on Instagram, which is at Guerreras underscore CR. So again, I'm going to spell out Guerreras, which is G-U-E-R-R-E-R-R. A-S underscore C-R on Instagram. 
you can follow us there so you can keep all getting updates about the podcast mm -hmm. and yes you can definitely hear about me there and i hope this is not the last time i'm in your podcast Abby. oh absolutely not there's no way that's gonna happen well that, that would we'll be figure a problem. it out <laughs> yeah, that would be a problem and i would do a whole episode about where's aria why is she not on my podcast <laughs> i would love that yeah Mm -hmm. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. And like we said, you got to follow Aria. You got to listen to her podcast. Okay. She's amazing. And we will see you later. Bye. Bye.